0: Amen. Well, last week, as I said, Pastor Pat started a series called Great Joy. And if you didn't listen to that message, you can find it on our website. You can find it on YouTube. Go ahead and listen to it because I think it's going to be super helpful for you. But he he tackled defining joy, what joy is and what joy isn't. And I kind of summarized his message a little bit, and I just want to share that with you. Joy is rooted in thought. It's a response to what we know and what we believe about God and about our relationship to Him. It's constant and it produces hope and confidence that no matter what the circumstances, things will be okay. In contrast, happiness is rooted in feeling. It's a response to outward circumstances. It's temporary and subject to change as our situations change. Now, I don't want to vilify happiness. God is a feeler, and he gave us feelings. I mean, who doesn't like to be around happy people? Ha- well, maybe some people don't. Like, happy, smiling people, you're always so happy. Like, what is up with that? So, But, but I realized that, that happiness, many years ago, I realized that happiness was a good thing, and so I did an experiment. I, every day, I made a, a commitment that I was going to smile for five minutes, and I did it in the car. I'm an overachiever. So, and it's so funny because you're driving, you're like, God, you're the worst driver ever. Oh, and so what I would like you to do is I would like you just for, I'm gonna give you one minute. I just watched the clock switch. So go ahead and smile. I want you to smile at me and I don't want you to stop. I'm gonna do one minute to smile at me. Just all your happy faces and antlers and the thing. And just like, it's so great. Just smile, just keep smiling. I'm gonna keep talking. You're gonna keep smiling, okay? And as you smile, you just realize like, your outward circumstances, as I smile, I feel happy, right? So we can change our circumstances and it'll change our feelings. No, keep smiling. Some of you are having a really <laughs> hard time with this. Like, it's hard. It's just a minute. Like, I want you to go home and try five minutes. Try driving home. Just smile. Pretty soon I'd be cracking up in the car. Just the absurdity of all of it. But But smiling is good. You can change your circumstances. You can change your feeling. Keep smiling. And you know, it's good to smile at others because it lets them know that they're worthy of a smile. Right When you smile at someone, they're like, well, something must be really good about me. And so you know that studies show if you spend more than 25% of your day with people that you report being exceedingly more happy because we feed off of that value. So do this right now. Look to the person on your right and just smile. Just look in there. Just smile, smile. That's no! Don't turn your hack me on. Just went like this. You just did this. Like, I can't. It's too much intimacy. And so smile. Okay, now turn and, and look to the person on your other side and just smile. Just look in their eyes and be like, this isn't me. I just love it. And like, we're just feeling so. Like, it's just you can't. Be unhappy, right? How how often do we realize that we go an entire day and never smile at our kids? We never smile at our husband or at our wife. And just like, and I just want you, I don't want to ever vilify happiness. Happiness is awesome. That's why we did ugly sweaters today. Like my husband's sweater says, smiling is good, right? And so the, the thing about it is, though, you can have joy and not be happy very possible you can be ecstatically happy over something but never know true joy so the two are connect but you can you can have joy and it produces happiness right the two are connected but they're not dependent so let me say that again joy and happiness they're connected but they're not dependent and that's going to be really important for us to remember as we launch into our study today which is on joy in the midst of adversity and that's a tough one, because when we start talking about joy at Christmas, it triggers all kinds of things. You want me to be joyful, but my life isn't very joyful, right? Because the Christmas season can be really challenging, right? It, people say, as they're polled that probably at least 40% of people we, report that they have greatly increased levels of anxiety, stress, and depression over the holidays. They attribute that to the demands on their time, the demands on their finances, and the demands, and here's the big one, of family dynamics. <laughs> and everyone's smiling again, because we all know certain, we all have, like how many have family dynamics that are just, wow. I do, like family dynamics that you're just like, I have to do another Christmas with these people. And so, no, I love my family. I'm just saying. Um, But I know you all do. My family's awesome. Actually, my mom, sorry, mom. I know you're watching. Um, I love you. It's great. And so, um, so you're good. And so, so some of you have, (laughs) I'm in so much trouble. And so family dynamics. Um, So they attribute that. And it's like, it's no wonder we're inundated with commercials. We're inundated with joy, like big signs, like 20 foot signs that say joy, joy, just the joy. It's the season of joy. Commercials where kids are just happy running downstairs and all that does. Christmas becomes this big magnifying glass by which we look through into our lives just to see how lame they are, like this imperfection of our lives, right? We get to see our lack. We get to see the finances we don't have, right? The smiling kids. And, I mean, it becomes this magnifying glass to show us how imperfect our life is. I mean, how is my husband ever even going to find a big red bow to put on my Lexus? (laughs) Like... Like, I think he could find the car lot, but I don't honestly know if he'd find that big red bow, right? And I do appreciate, I appreciate what Alexis did this year because they actually made the wife give her husband Alexis, which meant that they were an equal opportunity offender. Now all the wives, how come you're not buying your husband Alexis? Like, what's up with that, right? Like, I'll never do that. And so it just becomes this big magnifying glass to show us the imperfection of our lives. And so one of the things that if you, maybe you're not, and maybe you're just, you love Christmas. Christmas and and you're just like, Christmas is awesome. I love every part of it. And maybe you're not challenged, but statistics would say that there is a very good chance based on the percentages that you have someone in your life that is struggling like this. And maybe you immediately thought of them and maybe you didn't, but you will. Right, And these are people who are struggling and they need to know that regardless of the circumstances and the pressure and the commercialism of Christmas, that joy is very possible. And the Bible speaks very clearly to this, and I want to unpack that a little bit today. See, last week, Pat started the Christmas story, and he talked about Mary being visited by an angel who basically said to this probably no more than 15-year-old girl, oh, hey, guess what? You're going to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit. It's never been done before. No one's actually going to believe you. Your husband, your your fiancé is probably going to leave you, And, and oh, by the way, this kid, you're going to name him this, and he's going to save the world. And... Her response to that was, My spirit rejoices in you. Go ahead, God. Because even if all of those things seem really challenging and scary, I have joy in you. And I'm totally willing to do that. And so the Christmas story is, is was as we started it, we're like, oh man, there's some things going on here, right? And so I would like to pick that story up with the fiance, Joseph. And I know there's a lot of men in here who could probably relate to what does that conversation look like. So if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, we're going to start there. And it says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His, mo- his mother, Mary, was engaged to, the- to Mary Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and didn't want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break off the engagement quietly. Now this is really evidence that Joseph had a little problem with that conversation. Oh, hey, guess what? We're getting married and I'm pregnant, but honestly, it's by the Holy Spirit. I know that's never happened before, but... Like we're, we're like heading towards scandal here, Joseph. And he had to decide to believe her or not. And in the beginning, it sounds like he didn't. It sounds like he, he wasn't a mean guy because Mary could have been stoned to death for this. But he just wanted, he was like, I want a part of this, right? But it says, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son. And you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So can you imagine the conversation between Mary and Joseph? Joseph, I am pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And we're supposed to name him Jesus. And he's going to save people from their sin. And so the angel is saying, no, actually, that's true. She is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. You are going to name him Jesus. And he is going to save the people From their sin. So the angel came and spoke a confirming truth to Joseph. And it says when he woke up that he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, even if the situation seemed a little bit scary. And nine months later, we find the couple together. And at that time, Rome was in charge. And Caesar had made a decree that said, hey, everybody, you have to go back to the town of your origin, and you have to register. The problem was the place where Mary and Joseph had to register was 100 miles away, and she was ready to deliver. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that my husband had a hard time taking me to Target when I was that pregnant. I'm walking through like, to the minute of the minute, right? And they're looking at a hundred mile journey through forest. There was thieves. It was, it was not an easy job. Ja- I don't know. No, no, mention is a, no, there's no mention of a donkey, but I honestly couldn't imagine sitting on the back of a donkey that pregnant. So I don't know what they did. Nobody knows what they did, but I can promise you this. The journey was tough, right? And so it says that, um, in, it says that, In Luke 2, let's pick up the story. It says, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Catch that. Mary was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Unpack that right? While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, we have a tendency to romanticize the Christmas story, to sentimentalize it. Oh, Mary and Joseph, it's so sweet. Mary was probably such a good sport. And they're in the manger and the cattle are lowing, you know, and the sheep are bawling, And there's just this moment and you just think how many, like, the, I mean, she could have been screaming, I hate you, Joseph! I don't want to do this, right? Like, you just, you don't know. We have a tendency to romanticize the story, but the truth is the Christmas story, it's kind of a bit of a mess. Like, it's kind of rough, right? It's kind of like a Hallmark movie gone really, really bad. Like, I don't know about you, but like Hallmark's been showing movies for, for weeks. How do they have so many movies? I don't understand, and they're all the same. It's like, there's a problem, right? And then there's a boy, and then there's a girl, And then they meet, they probably don't like each other at first, but then they like each other. And then there's some kind of major misunderstanding and all kinds of trouble and challenge. But then at the end, they get united and the town is saved. (laughs) Or the farm is saved. Or the business is saved. Right? And you're like every single one. And so when I think about the Christmas story, I'm like this is a Hallmark movie. If like a Hallmark movie had a baby with like the devil, this is like the, this is like the result of that. No, I'm joking. Like the devil didn't have part of that. But anyway, so you have a Hallmark movie. Like there's tr- the world, it's in, like there's so much trouble, right? Mankind is all going to hell, right? And then there's a boy and then there's a girl, right? And they kind of find each other, right? And so they kind of like each other, they're looking forward to future. And then there's a big misunderstanding and there's all kinds of trouble. And I just, I made a list, and I just want to read this list to you. Okay, so there was a teenage pregnancy. There was an unwed mother. There was relationship stress. There was scandal. There was shame, right? There was lack. There was homelessness. There was political unrest. There was persecution. There was danger. There was a five-day trip with a pregnant woman. There was no place to stay. There was delivery by herself. Where was her family? Right? And then there's a king who wants to kill her baby. And so you just think, oh my gosh. But there's a boy and a girl. And at some point, they unite. And the world is saved. And you're like, wow. Something amazing was happening within the context of this profound hardship and challenge. And so we see all of these conditions, and you're like, this is not a romantic story. Whoever envisions themselves in the middle of those circumstances, and yet the angels came and said, I bring you good news of great joy. You know, there's a reason why every person in the Christmas story is told, hey, don't be afraid. Okay, how many of you when you hear that? Okay, I got to tell you something, but I don't want you to be afraid. And what do you immediately do? Go, oh, I'm so afraid. So afraid. If you have to start off with don't be afraid, there's a reason to be afraid. And there's a big reason to be afraid, right? But I want to tell you that Lindsay said this so beautifully in sermon prep last week. He said, the interesting thing was the hope of the world was in that feeding trough. And there was joy in the knowledge of that. And some some of you may feel like your life is basically in that feeding trough. Like the circumstances of your life are there. But I want you to know that Jesus came into the midst of tragedy and darkness. He showed up on the scene as joy. And the circumstances actually didn't matter. You know, there was a time in my life where I really needed to know that kind of joy. I was a single mom. I was 21 years old. I was a baby. I had a two-year-old. My husband had left, and he was off having another life with someone else. And we were barely making it. We were one paycheck away from being homeless. And we lived in... A little room, we didn't have a kitchen. We had all of our food in our pantry, which was the top drawer of a dresser. We had a coffee pot to heat water, and we had a toaster oven. And he's two years old, and I am heartbroken, and I am angry, and I am spinning. I'm angry at God. Truth is I had accepted the, the truth of Jesus two years earlier. But in the anger and disappointment over the circumstances in my life, I just had messed so much up. I had alienated my family. I think they thought I was absolutely bonkers. I had alienated my friends. And due to some traumatic circumstances in my family the whole fa- th- that were not my own, that whole family was kind of divided, and it was Christmas. And I didn't make much money, but I thought, I want to get him a present. And so I had saved my money, and the one thing I wanted to get him kind of a squirrely kid. I wanted to get him something called the Wonder Horse. And I have a picture of that. Can you show a picture of it? Hey, there's a, how many of you that just, oh, I had a Wonder Horse. That's worth $527 on eBay right now because it's vintage. Don't you wish you would have saved it, right? And so, so I I managed to save this money and I bought the Wonder Horse and um, Christmas Eve came and we were alone. We didn't have a Christmas tree or anything, but you know, I, I was anxious to put him to bed. I was anxious to put that kid to bed every night. He was that kid. Time to go to bed. And so that's why I, hence the horse, right? <laughs> um, and so I put him to bed, and I, I get the box. And, you know, the box has the picture of the whole horse, right? And so I open the box, and I realize that there's nothing but pieces in it. And it says I'm going to need tools. And, you know, back then you didn't get that little thing that you get. like a Like, you're going to need tools. Okay, so I have a butter knife. I have a pair of scissors and I have some tweezers. And that's all I have. And I can't go to the store and I can't call Target Delivery because my kid is asleep and I have nobody. So I set out to take, I take all the pieces out of the box. And for those of you that know me, I'm not mechanical at all. And so I have no tools and I have no talent, but I have a lot of pieces on the floor. And so I'm like, how hard can this be? I got directions. And yes, gentlemen, directions do come in the box. (laughs) And so... I mean, how many wives have followed your husband around going, there's directions, there's directions. Okay, but even with directions, I'm spatially challenged, so I don't get it. And so uh, hours later, it's well into the night, it's about 2 o'clock in the morning, and I am, I still have pieces all over the floor, and I am sobbing. And I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't put this together. I can't, I can't fix this. And this kid is going to wake up, and I'm not going to have anything for him. And Christmas became this big magnifying glass of all things wrong in my life. And as I look back at it now, I think, I don't know that I was responding to my inability to put the pieces of the horse all together. This is a mess. I'm looking at it and I'm powerless to fix it. But I think it was so indicative of my life at the time. How many feel like your life is just a little bit of pieces on the floor? Yeah. Yeah. And I think I was responding not to the horse, but to rejection, to loneliness, to isolation, to shame, to failure, and to fear of the future. How many Christmases like this am I going to face with a butter knife and a pair of tweezers? It would have been great at that time to know that life can be so messy. Like, truth be told, Truth be told, it was my fault. Like I had walked away from God. I had messed things up. Life gets messy, right? I had messed up my relationships. Maybe you have. Life can be messy, but joy is possible. It would have been nice to know that. And maybe you feel like you've messed up. There are situations in your life you literally ran straight into. Maybe somebody else made decisions and they messed up their life and it bled over into yours. Maybe life just happened and there are situations that are out of your control. But either way, life can be messy. The one thing I know, though, is that joy and sorrow can coexist. Because that night, I don't know that there was going to be a wind blowing in from the north and my life was going to all of a sudden be fixed. But joy was possible. The truth is, by the morning time, I managed to put that horse together. (laughs) Lots of tears. After a couple days, I knew it was the worst decision I ever made in my life. (laughs) Somebody said the first service when you made that sound, it took me back. I'm like, I know everyone who's ever had a wonder horse knows what that sound is, and that kid he wanted to bounce. He was awesome. But sorrow and joy can coexist. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6:10, the apostle Paul, who had been boiled in oil and imprisoned and beaten and falsely accused, he said that he was sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Everybody say, always, always. He was sorrowful and yet rejoicing. They can coexist. Psalm ninety-four nineteen says, When anxiety was great within me, your consolation or comfort brought me joy. Like at the moment anxiety was here, God's comfort brings joy. John 16, Jesus tells us, In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. He doesn't say, wait for it to end and then be of good cheer. He says, don't be surprised because in this world, there's going to be things that happen. It's going to get super messy. Maybe it's your fault. Maybe it's someone else's fault. Maybe it's nobody's fault, but it's going to get messy. But be of good cheer because you can't mess up what I've done you can't mess this up. See, you can mess that up. See, that's your life. You can mess that up, but you can't mess up the plan of God that has been inspired by love for you and your life. You simply cannot mess it up because he said it is finished. Because there is nothing else he needs to do to put those pieces of your life back together. He's already made an arrangement for it. People, you cannot mess this up, and there's a world that needs to know that, right? So life can get messy. You can't mess it up. I always say that, that God's plan in my life is greater than my ability to mess it up. Thank God. I'm living proof of that, and I needed somebody to tell me that. You know, joy is actually God's will for us. God commands it. In Thessalonians, the book of Thessalonians, let's say this again. Can we edit that out of the tape? Like, in the, <laughs> Make a note of that, Jake. In the book of Thessalonians, Chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. It says, rejoice always. Everybody say always. Always. It says, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. How many times do we say, I just want to know what God's will is for me in my life? Joy. No, I just really want to know what his will is. Joy. Always joy. God's will for you is joy. Philippians 4, 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always, say always, always. Again I will say, rejoice. Joy and always, always and joy. They seem to go together. Those are three scriptures where joy and always are together, right? Rejoice in the Lord, always, right? Continue to live in joy. And since joy is rooted with thought, in thought and not in circumstances, it's completely possible. Right? Now, in this Christmas season, how many of you said, you know, to our kids, like, this is the time of joy. We have so much. Those are circumstances, and I'm sure that they can feel happy, and we love happiness. But it doesn't matter if you have everything or if you have nothing. You all have the ability to have the same joy, right? Joy for me is as complete as it could have been when I was looking at the pieces of that horse on the floor. I could have had as much joy as I have today, that night. I wish I knew then what I know now. Joy is God's will. It's not just because God decided I want you all to be happy because I'm sick of seeing your sour faces. I think I want to write a book saying, if I was God. I might do things a little bit different. God wants you to be joyful. Because joy is a weapon. Nehemiah 8.10 says, The joy of the Lord is my strength. That word strength, it means a place of safety, protection, refuge, or stronghold. The root word means to be strong and prevail. Let me put it this way. The joy of the Lord is my refuge by which I can be strong and prevail in any circumstance. So what I think and know about God is my refuge or place of safety, where when I'm there, I can prevail in all circumstances. Joy is a weapon against adversity. Hebrews 12.2, for the joy set before him, Jesus, he endured the cross, despising its shame. That word endure means to bear, persevere, or abide. So for the joy, for what Jesus knew about what was going to happen, for what Jesus knew about the end of the story, he was able to abide under the worst persecution and torture and even death. So what he knew helped him in what he was experiencing. And some of you are experiencing some crazy stuff right now. You got to know some things about God right? Because it was the joy that he put before him. And he's like, you know what? I can totally live under this because I know the end of the story. I know that after I do what I'm going to do, they can't mess this up. But right now it's messed up. But I can endure this. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. So if joy is God's will and we know it can coexist with sorrow, and there's so many circumstances in our life that kind of war against how do we cultivate that joy in our life? I want to give you some things today. So we're going to do something. We're going to, we're going to talk through some practical things that you can do to begin to cultivate joy in your life. And then we're going to do some work in prayer to kind of move in and activate some of these truths. Are you ready? All right. All right. This is the part where Lindsay said it's going to get challenging. (laughs) What can you do to cultivate joy? Well, the first thing you can do is change the way you view your past, your present, and your future. Well, Julie, I can't change the past. No, you can't. But you can change the lens that you view it with right? You can look through that lens in light of Jesus. See, as I look back on that time where I was up in the middle of the night and I'm crying and all the pieces of my life are laid out symbolically on the floor, and I look at through the lens of Jesus, he had already made provision for my life to change. It was there. He never left me or forsook me. He helped me get that silly horse together because in a millennium of lifetimes, I could never do that again with a butter knife. (laughs) But he was there with me. He had a plan in place. And no matter what was going on, I couldn't mess it up. And in that, I look at it and I'm like, I'm so thankful. Because shortly after that, I would make a decision to step into his plan and his provision. And my entire life, like that wonder horse, would get put back together. And I'm so thankful. You can change the lens that you view the past with. You can change the lens that you view your today with, and oh my gosh, the lens of the future. Man, we have a glorious future as believers. I can't wait. I can't wait to see you all in heaven, but those sweaters aren't making it. <laughs> the second thing you can do is forgive. In the words of some movie called, what's it called? Uh, what's the snow movie out? It's frozen. Let it go let it go. Let it go. Because here's the deal. Unforgiveness keeps you as a captive and the Lord has set you free. So why are you going to put yourself back into captivity of unforgiveness when God made you free? And if he made you free, you are free indeed. So let it go. Okay. People cannot go back and fix the past, right? They could have ruined your Christmas, but they shouldn't ruin your life. And I got to tell you, Christmas for me, there was a lot of alcoholism and drug abuse surrounding my upbringing. And I lived in a tension of the expectation of Christmas, but the fear of what it looked like when somebody drank too much or took too many drugs. And no one can go back and fix that, right? But I can forgive and not be a victim to it, right? Somebody may have done something to you, but they don't have to ruin your life 10 years later. Forgiveness is freedom. You can live with an even-if attitude. Mary and Joseph had an even-if attitude. Even if that person hurts me again. Even if this goes wildly wrong. Even if nobody believes me, right? You live with an even-if attitude. God is able to sustain you, to strengthen you, to provide for you, and to walk with you through any ifs that can happen in your life. Even if. So you live with an even if attitude. Do you know that it's reported that the somebody said this in sermon prep this week, the majority of mental illness stems from people trying to avoid pain. Because you can't. You can't avoid it. And that's hopelessness, right? And so if you're not afraid of pain, even if you hurt me again, you know what, I endured it last time, I'll endure it next time. Even if none of this happens, I'm strong. I know I'll be okay right? Even if statements, they strip the enemy's power. God, no, God, I'm strong in the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Even if the worst happens, I'll be okay. Have an even-if attitude. That already makes you joyful, huh? When you stop being a prisoner to the fear of what could possibly happen. That's why people don't forgive because someone might do it again. But if they do it again, you stood up this time, you'll stand up next time. I promise, right? Right? The next thing is ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. Because everywhere you see it, says be full of joy in the Holy Spirit. Right? The fruit of the Spirit, as Pastor Pat said last week, go listen to his message, by the way, on the web or YouTube. It's great. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy. So as the Holy Spirit comes and fills you, joy is a result. And here's the deal. The Holy Spirit, his job is to search the mind of God and reveal truth to you. And as, you, as he reveals truth to you, remember that joy is rooted in what you believe and know about God. So as the Holy Spirit fills you, he begins to reveal truth. You begin to know things about God that produce joy in your life. It's like a really great math problem. And I'm not good at math, right? So ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. And I, yeah, that's a really big one. I feel like that's it. Holy Spirit, fill me. I need joy, so I need truth, right? The next thing is look to the word. Jeremiah 15, 16 says, I love the scripture. When I discovered your words, I devoured them. They are my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, O Lord God of heaven's armies. I love this. God's word, he devoured God's word and they became his joy. Why? Because in the word, we find out that we are literally God's own child. That we are heirs to the kingdom. That our Papa God is the leader and commander of heaven's armies. And you don't mess with heaven's armies. And you don't mess with God's kids. It says I, you, that I know that I bear your name. So as you read his word, you know the Bible is full of information about you. It's full of all the information and truth. And as you read it, you begin to know and understand these truths about God and his relationship to you. And no matter what happens, you become unshakable. Don't mess with God's kids. Change your goal. I got to read this to you. I thought of this. This was awesome. So if you quote me, make sure you put that little dash, Julie, on it. And so it says, no, I'm joking. It says, if you seek to be happy, you will need to change your circumstances. If you seek genuine joy, you will need to change your focus. If you seek to be happy, you got to change your circumstances. It's not a bad thing. When people come to counseling, sometimes they sit down and I go, how's that working for you? You, you interested in changing that? Because if you don't change that, your circumstances are going to stay the same. So that's a really valid truth. That'll preach in another message, right? But if you're seeking to be happy, you're going to always look at changing your circumstances. But if you want real joy, you got to change your focus. And that focus has to be on Jesus. Psalm 13.5 says, I have trusted in your loving devotion. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. My focus, I cease to focus on all of this stuff in my life and I begin to meditate on what is good and perfect and true and right about my future. And in that I find joy. And I'm going to ask uh, James, to come on out. I love it when James plays in the background. It's so great. Are you guys ready to do some work? That's a good word, huh? That's a good word. All right. So here's what I want to do. Those are six things. I want you to close your eyes, and we're just going to have a moment. We're going to just take some ministry time, because there was a lot in that message. Right now, I'm going to walk you through these six things. Are you ready? The first thing, how many of you need new lenses? you got to change the way you view your past, your present, and your future. So right now, God, I thank you for new lenses. And I want, as I pray, I want you to agree with the prayer, and I want you to speak out to God. God, I need, to, I need to view my, show me where you were in my past, God. Show me where you were when that thing happened, when that hurt happened, when that tragedy happened. Show me where you were and change my lens so that I can see the joy in it. God, show me where you are right now. Where are you in the circumstances that I'm facing? God, I'm afraid of the future. Show me where you are in it. Show me where you are in it, God. The second thing, how many you need to forgive someone? You need to let it go. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, in the quietness of your heart, just say to the Lord, I forgive them, God. I know you've forgiven them. And so I agree with you. I forgive them. They can't go back and change it, there's nothing they can do to make it better. But God, you can put the pieces back. And so I forgive them and I choose to let it go right now in Jesus' name. And I know that even if they do it again, God, that you are able to sustain me. The next thing I want you to do, and I think I want everyone to do this, is ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with joy. And the Lord said today that there are so many people who are afraid to take that step. They're afraid to open their heart and go, Holy Spirit, fill me and I'm okay with the consequences of that. Like all of me, like I need all of you, God. I need more of you, Holy Spirit. I want to feel to overflowing and in that overflowing, God, it's going to produce joy in my life. So Holy Spirit, I open my heart and I give you all of it. Have your way and the Holy Spirit is filling some of you, this is surrender. This is a surrender to him. But I can tell you that you need the Holy Spirit because he's the one that's going to reveal truth to you and you need truth to have joy. It, It doesn't exist without him. God, we ask you right now to create a hunger in us for your word. We thank you for your word. Your word is life, God. We thank you, Jesus, that you came as joy and interjected yourself into a dark place and that we can read about that, that we can rejoice as we read the end of the story. God, we thank you for your word. Make us hungry, God. I thank you, Lord, for your salvation. God, right now, Despite anything that's happening in our life, God, we give you thanks for the work that you did that was complete. We give you thanks for the it is finished moment. We give you thanks that we can't mess it up. Gosh, I thank you for making it that way. I thank you that it didn't count on me and it only counted on you. And so, God, we focus on the joy of our salvation. I thank you that you will be faithful to complete the work that you began in each and every person. I thank you for the generations that come after us that not one will fail to know the salvation of the Lord because in your word you promise they will. And I can have joy in that and it doesn't matter what they look like right now. I thank you, God, for the joy of your salvation. And I'm gonna add one right now. The last thing you can do if you haven't done it is to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Because I can tell you that you have to walk into that provision. You have to walk into that belief. The best thing I ever did, I couldn't put that piece, those pieces back together, but I can make one decision, and that was to put my faith in Jesus Christ. And if you haven't done that as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, this is your opportunity to do that. Joy unspeakable is available for you today. And if you've never done that, I want you to just raise your hand right now. And I want you to tell the Lord that that's what you want to do. That this is the day, that this is your day. And maybe all of you have. But this is your day and this is your moment to step into joy. And so, God, we thank you for this moment. We seal it. We thank you that as we walk out of here, we walk out of here with joy, knowing and thanking you for your great plan of salvation, knowing and thanking you for entering into our life as hope, as joy with a plan that simply can't be messed up. We give you all the glory. Amen. Amen. Now here's what I want to do before we leave. There's a prayer team up here. If you, if you raise your hand or you believe you need to accept Jesus. Last, I knew last service there was someone and then they stopped me outside. Maybe you need to do that. There's a prayer team Come on up. If there was something that you're really struggling with that we talked about, come up and have someone agree with you. Have them lay their hands on you. Have them pray for you. And so if that's the case, um, I want you to come up front. And before we leave, here's my last two instructions. I want you to stand up. And as you walk out the door, I want you to smile. Smile until you get in the car. And then smile all the way home. Amen? Amen.